Matthew 25, verse 31. The sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom is prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger but you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you, a stranger, invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So I also bring greetings from Open Doors, um, our head office in Oxford, and a thank you for your continued support, because we can't do all the things we do without your support. So thank you very much. Wasn't the reading we heard about the sheep and the goats, wasn't that an encouragement? I don't know about you, but I want to be a sheep. I know there's people out there who need feeding. And that reading said, if I give them food, I'm giving it to Jesus. I know there are people out there who need clothing. And that reading said, if I give them clothing, I'm doing it for Jesus. What an encouragement. I want to tell you another story today a true story and it's a true story about some young Christians they go to church they go to Bible study and they study a story and they're encouraged by this Bible story in fact they're not just encouraged they're inspired so the story is the feeding of the 5,000 it must be a reasonably important story because actually it's in all four Gospels, which is quite unusual for some of the stories about Jesus. But we find it in all four Gospels. And when we read it in Matthew's Gospel, it starts like this. When he, that's Jesus, heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Something had happened in his life that had really affected him really deeply and all he wanted to do was get away somewhere quietly. Do you recognize that feeling when you have a trauma or a trial or something heavy in your life? Maybe you're out of work or someone in your family is. Maybe you haven't got any money. Maybe you have a relationship problem. Maybe the children are being bullied at school. I don't know. There's lots of things that could be happening in our lives. And we just feel, gosh, if only we could get away and go somewhere quiet. And Jesus understands. 
he understands because he's been through it himself. And the thing that had made him feel, oh, if only I could get away somewhere quiet, was that he just heard that his cousin, who had been in prison, had been murdered, but in the most dreadful way. He'd been beheaded, and then his head had been taken on a platter to the court, to the king. How awful. And Jesus just wanted to get into a boat privately and go off to a solitary place. Well, he understands our trials because he had them himself. And he understands the trials of the young people that I want to tell you about. These young people have their own set of trials because they live in Syria today. They are living in the middle of a civil war and everybody is touched by it. It's extraordinarily complicated and of course it gets even more complicated as more people try and join in and join sides. And, but to simplify it so that I can understand what we're doing in Open Doors, it goes like this. There's the government side, the government troops, and they are in the majority, but not wholly, but in the majority, Shia Muslims. Then there's the rebel side, and they are in majority, but not totally, Sunni Muslims. And they're fighting each other. And then in the middle, there's another people group, and they're the Christians that live in Syria. And that people group, Syrian Christians, have been there about 2,000 years. When we read our Bible, it says, Paul was on the road to Damascus, which is the capital of Syria, to persecute Christians. So there were Christians right there, right back in Paul's time. They're not people who've moved in and taken over. They're people who have been there for uh, nearly 2,000 years. Now, the majority of them but not all of them, but the majority of them don't want to fight. This is not, they don't feel this is their fight. If they don't fight with the government troops, then the government accuse them of being rebels and the government fires on them. If they don't fight with the rebel troops, then the rebels accuse them of being government supporters and the rebels fight on, um, fire on them. So basically, in Syria at the present time, it's open season on Christians, and they're having a really difficult time. In the feeding of the 5,000 story, Jesus wants to get off and go to a solitary place. But when he arrives at his solitary place, it's not solitary at all. The Gospels tell us that there was a small crowd there. He'd gone across the lake in a boat. They'd seen him going. They wanted to hear him. They wanted more of him. And so they'd gone round the lake. Gosh, they must have been jogging, mustn't they? Because they got there before he did. And so when he arrived, there was a small crowd. And you know what crowds are like. Small crowd grew into a big crowd. And in the end, John tells us in his gospel, there were 5,000 men and boys. And can you believe it? And some women. So it was over 5,000. It was a huge crowd. And when Jesus saw this huge crowd, you could kind of understand if he thought, oh, no, 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 not today. Don't need this. I'm looking for a solitary place. But he doesn't. He has compassion on them. 
He recognizes that they are needy. They need his teaching and they need his healing. And so he gets out of the boat and he spends time with them. He teaches them and he heals their sick. For our young people in Syria, they understand what it's like not to be able to find a solitary place. There's no quiet place for them either. They're surrounded by a civil war that touches everyone. And when they look out, they are surrounded by thousands of people who are needy. Some of them have lost their homes. Some of them have lost loved ones. Some of them are wounded themselves. Some of them have relatives who are wounded. Some of them have children who are frightened to go to school, understandably. And all of them, without exception, are hungry. All of them need food. It's just like the feeding of the 5,000, really. Loads of people, and they're all hungry. As time went on, the crowds in the Bible story had listened to the teaching and they were just spellbound and they wanted more of it and they wouldn't go away. They wanted to hear more of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And the apostles said to Jesus, look, it's getting late. We're in the middle of nowhere. Shouldn't we send the people away? But Jesus isn't into sending people away. He's into gathering people to himself. And the apostles found someone who had five loaves and two fishes. It's interesting, isn't it, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't even mention the boy. They just find five loaves and two fishes. But in John's Gospel, it says it was a boy who had five loaves and two fishes. In the culture, he would have been very unimportant because he wasn't yet a man. But he had five loaves and two fishes and he didn't hold back. You could kind of understand if he said, mm, I'll keep one loaf and one fish for me, and you can have all of the rest, but he doesn't. The boy doesn't hold back. He gives Jesus everything he has. Five loaves, two fishes, and when he gives Jesus everything he has, Jesus can do a miracle. He can feed 5,000 plus people and have stuff over at the end to be collected in 12 baskets. When we give everything we have to Jesus, then he can still do miracles today. It's amazing. The youths in Syria feel like that boy. They're not very important. In fact, they feel unimportant. They're young. It always counts against you but they're also in the lowest strata of society in Syria. They're Christians. But they want to be like the boy in the story. They want to give everything they have. So they dig in their pockets and they bring out all the money they can muster in the hopes that they'll be able to feed thousands of people as well. And when they count all the money they have, they have what amounts to just under five pounds in English money. Not a lot, is it, to feed loads of people. But that's how the feeding program in Syria started. That's how the clothing program in Syria started. Apparently, it snows in Damascus in the winter. I didn't realize that. So people are desperate for clothing to keep warm as well. 
And it all started with some youths and a Bible story and just under five pounds in English money. And I think I want to stop there and I'd like you to watch a video that we brought with us about Syria. Watch out for just a second of the feeding program and the clothing program and someone going into someone's home. That video was made at the beginning of this year and I suspect that those numbers are out of date but it's pretty amazing isn't it? Started with some youths, a Bible story and just under five pounds in English money. But it's even more amazing than that. In the year 2008, the leadership of Open Doors decided to review their work in Syria. We review work in different countries all the time just to make sure that we're doing all that we should be doing. And there wasn't actually a lot going on in Syria at the time. There wasn't a lot of persecution, which was totally excellent. We were really pleased that we weren't really busy. But the leadership felt a message from God saying that persecution was coming and that we should start to prepare for it then in 2008. So we called together the leaders of the church in Syria and told them what we were feeling and started to build relationships with the church leaders and with the churches there. So that when the civil war started in 2011, we were already there working with churches and we were already able straight away to get in the support that the churches needed. And now, in partnership with the churches in Syria, Open Doors is feeding over 8,000 families. That's not 8,000 people, that's 8,000 families. That's not, oh, here's some food and we walk away. That's on a regular basis. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a modern-day miracle. And it's a miracle that goes on and on. When the churches decided that was what they wanted to do, they had a dilemma. And their dilemma was, who do we feed? Some Christian agencies, apparently, only feed Christians. So we go back to the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus didn't say, if you don't think I'm the Messiah, if you don't think you can follow me, if you're not sure, I want you to sit over this side. If you think I'm your saviour, if you think you could have a go at following me, I want you to sit on this side and I will feed you. Because that's not Jesus' way. Jesus loves everyone. Jesus died for everyone. When people were hungry, Jesus fed everyone. So the church in, in Syria decided that they would feed whoever came and asked for food, Christians or Muslims, whoever, you could have food. It's not like England where you go to a, a food bank and they give you the food there and you carry it home. You have to go to the church, you have to register your name and your address. 
when it's reasonably safe, the people of the church go out usually in the evening and buy the food. We don't send food in because that damages the economy of the country. So they go out and buy food. And when it's reasonably safe, they deliver the food to the houses. And in the video, someone was going into a home, weren't they? They befriend people, they comfort them, they talk with them, they pray with them. The Muslims are, uh, they know Jesus, they know him as a prophet, they know him as a healer, they're quite happy to pray. And the Muslim's testimony is this. We were hungry and we went to the mosque and there was no food. We were hungry and we went to the church and not only did they have food, but they were prepared to share it with us. So who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus who not only provides for his people, but inspires them to give food to us? And so the churches in Syria are starting small Bible groups for Muslims so that they can go out and they can find out who this Jesus is. And of course, you know what's happening, don't you? Some of the Muslims are coming to faith. This is a modern-day miracle. It's wonderful. And we can all be part of it. In the video, the pastor asked you to do three, three things. He said that you had a role to play as advocates to your parliament. And I don't know about you, but I feel fairly removed from my parliament. I shouldn't, but I do. But Open Doors is working with our parliament. Um, during the, this year, we've been trying to raise their awareness of the persecuted church. And during this year, they have actually started a work study group looking into persecution of Christians around the world. So we are working with our parliament. When parliament was recalled to make that decision about whether we would go to war or not, you may remember, not long ago, um, Open Doors wrote to the Prime Minister and to Christian groups within the Parliament. <clears throat> and what we wrote wasn't that one side was right or wrong or that we should support one side or the other. What we wrote was, please remember there is another people group there, that there are Christians there and they need our support and they have a right to justice as well. The letter was sent out from the Christian groups to lots of the MPs. Some of them said it made them think about the decision they made. So I'm not saying it was the only thing, but it was a contributing factor to the fact that now, and isn't that a miracle as well, we didn't go to war. And what we thought was impossible that people would start to talk about how to deal with chemical weapons is actually coming about. We need to carry on praying into that one. So we have a role as advocates. Can you put up your hand if you've ever been an advocate? Advocates are people who stand in the gap between those who are without power and those who have or think they have power. Can you put up your hand if you've ever prayed for somebody? So you've all been advocates. You've stood in the gap between someone who is needy and someone, a God, 
who is marvellous, amazing, can provide everybody's needs, and you've stood in the gap and you've prayed. That is being an advocate. That is one of the ways that we can be advocates. But we can also be advocates in other ways. Open Doors is hoping to take <clears throat> a petition to the United Nations, and we're hoping to have half a million signatures. I can't do it on my own. <laughs> half a million signatures, and we need your signature if you can stand with what we're saying. It's not that one side is right or wrong, it's that there are people in the middle who deserve, have a right to justice, and they don't deserve to be thrown out of their homes just because they follow Jesus. And so we have that petition with us. I hope you're all going to stay for lunch and eat our cheap soup and, and, and free rice, um, and we'll have the petition out there. One signature is pretty insignificant. It's easy to feel insignificant, isn't it? Two signatures is 100% more. When you have loads and loads of signatures, it has real power, and we have had success at the United Nations before. I would urge you, do uh, exercise the freedom, the, the, the political freedom that you have by signing the petition. The next thing the pastor asked us to do was to give. And it's not rocket science, is it? If you're going to do anything in this world, it takes money. It's just one of those things. We need money. A food pack costs £70. We're giving those out to 8,000 families on a regular basis. There is, when we finish doing that, when we come to the end of this war, and we're already planning for that, there's trauma counselling will be needed. There's orphanages that will be needed. There's homes that will be needed to be rebuilt. There's lives that will be needed to be rebuilt. And all the time there is a need, open doors will be there to help those Christians and we can't do it without you. So please, when you've had your austerity meal, please give generously. Some people like to buy something, don't they? So I bought these. I have loads of these. These are stockings, as you can see. They're for Christmas. All the, the work and the material was, was donated. We're selling them for just a pound. And all of that money, the whole pound, will go to Syria. I guarantee that. And you're thinking, what on earth could you do with a stocking that size? Well, one lady bought one to go on her kitchen wall to remind her to pray for Syria. Isn't that lovely? Someone put a mobile phone in one. If you've got children that you want to encourage, <laughs> or adults, sweets go in them. Um, you can get in small toiletries. Um, oh, Pencils and little pencils, you know, get these little pencils, little rubbers, they would go in. Nail polish, nail polish remover, hand cream, and Jeffrey tells me miniature whiskies. There you go. Why not buy loads and see what you can put in them, and all the money will go to Syria. And the last thing that we were asked to do was to pray, and it's last but it's not least. It is the most important thing that we can do. It's something that we can all do, however old we are, however young we are, if we're able or disabled, wherever we are. 
And we can do it every day. And I would ask you to pray. It's really important. When you go into God's throne room to pray, not only do you bless other people, but you are blessed as well. And if you're thinking, oh, I can't think of something to pray every day, well, if you get our magazine, which is free, in the middle there's a prayer diary. It has one prayer for each day. It takes about two minutes. 30,000 of them go out. 60,000 minutes of prayer is six weeks of prayer. Now, we got know that God hears all those prayers, and I believe that he moves when his people pray passionately together for the persecuted church. When we pray, we grasp the opportunity to be part of a miracle. And I believe, as I've said, that there are miracles going on today. And I want to finish by going back to and remembering that the, the reading that we had during the service. Because now we all know of people who are hungry. And if we go out and we feed them, we are feeding Jesus. We all know about people who are needing clothes. And if we go out and clothe them, we are clothing Jesus. And in Jesus' own words, whatever you did for one of the least of these brethren of mine, you did for me. Worth thinking about, isn't it? Thank you.